Hey everybody, and welcome to Canary Cry Radio. My name's Basil. And this is Gons. Welcome to episode number 135. 135. Slowly but surely, we will reach 1,000 episodes. (laughs) Eventually. (laughs) I don't know what we're going to do when it happens, but it's going to happen. We'll probably be old and gray. Yes. Ew. So, guys, this is so exciting. This was a conversation. We're going to talk about it a little bit more later on. But uh, I had a chance to sit down, boots on the ground, and speak with a member of the Bundy family. Not just that, but also a current candidate for governor of Nevada. Yeah, fancy guy. Yeah, fancy, fancy. That's right. I'm one of those. I don't know what you're doing to getting into those circles, Basil. Big time, big time reporter, journalists on the ground. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But thanks for everybody tuning in. We'll talk a little bit more about how this interview came about and what it means and what it's all about a little bit later. But before that, I want to say a very warm thank you to all the Patreon supporters over at patreon.com slash canarycryradio. You guys have uh, committed to support the podcast. We've hit our first goal, which means a very special episode is going to be coming out. And uh, keep checking back there because we are also putting out bonus episodes called Canary Cry Conversations. There's already hours and hours of bonus content there for you to absorb into your ears. Many people complain that we don't come out with episodes fast enough. Well, if you're a Patreon supporter, you get uh, extra episodes all the time. Also, thanks for everybody who has been leaving iTunes ratings and reviews. That goes a long way to extending the reach of our podcast and having the iTunes artificially intelligent robots uh, recommend the podcast to other people who may not be listening already. And, uh, you know, if you want some entertainment as well, you can go read those ratings and reviews. There's some pretty uh, funny ones. And, uh, you know, you might notice some uh, some critical reviews as well. And we need you to go counteract those critical yet hilarious reviews uh, with some positive ones. But, you know, if you're feeling positive about the show, that would be we would appreciate that on a very personal level. <laughs> I love everybody that does anything that writes anything anywhere. Yeah. Okay. It's just very, it's just, Gons is just very pleased by any human interaction. Humans, I love. Um, that's what happens when you have a one-year-old baby. You're just happy for other adults to just recognize, to see that you exist. They didn't, they didn't tell me that it was a new baby order. <laughs> It was going to just completely take over. You've been inducted. Um, (laughs) The rulers of our society are secretly babies. Um, Also, here's the thing, guys. We also do another weekly show called Canary Cry News Talk. You can find it on all your podcatchers. It is an awesome time where Gons and I uh, pick out some news stories, ones that you probably haven't heard, and we talk about them in the context of all the things we talk about on this show. Now, I get it. Getting into a new podcast is kind of a, you know, I'm, I'm always reluctant to listen to a new podcast. I feel very safe in the podcast that I currently listen to. But I'm telling you, if you want 
more good listening during the week. Look up Canary Cry News Talk. You get uh, some news that you're not going to hear anywhere else, and you're going to get it analyzed and uh, put in context of all the crazy things we talk about on this show. And it's only a half hour, so it's not a huge commitment but you guys are definitely going to want to do that. I see the numbers. I know that there are plenty of Canary Cry radio listeners who have not yet added Canary Cry Newstalk to their list, and they need to do it because you, yeah. you're missing out. There's a whole bunch of connections that we make that you need to fully embrace the Canary Cry universe. Yeah, it's more of the day-to-day or at least week-to-week accounts of uh, what's going on in context to everything we talk about. But we're going to get to a thousand episodes on Canary Cry News Talk much quicker than we are for Canary Cry Radio. That's true. Because we've been pretty consistent with the weekly thing. In fact, uh, we just surpassed a hundred episodes uh, several weeks ago. So we're, we're starting to number the episodes. You can see them go up much, much faster than I think this we've, speed here. I think we've only missed one episode in two years, which is, I pr- think so. which is yeah. a pretty good record for us. And... And we have over 50 extended reports, which is an extra half hour to an hour of uh, episode in addition to yeah. the regular weekly oh, yeah. episodes. So all sorts of content over there. And you'll hear about how to get those extended reports when you listen to Canary Cry News Talk. Now, are you ready to talk about this episode, Gonzo? Yeah. So you were able to have this uh, wonderful conversation with uh, this wonderful man. Yes. So I'll make a long story short. One of the listeners, a friend of mine and uh, a contact I have who is involved in some politicking that happens around the country, hooked me up. He gave me a call and he says, do you remember a little event, a little incident that happened uh, a few years back about some ranchers and some uh, the BLM constitutional rights disputes. And I go, yeah, I think so. He's like, yes. Well, how would you like to sit down with Ryan Bundy from that whole situation? I go, what? Can I do that? Is that even possible? And he (laughs) says, yes, I got the hookup. I got you. He's running for governor of Nevada. And I said, whoa, that's crazy. I'm going to do it. And so over a span of, uh, I believe, two days, I laid down about four hours of tape with Ryan Bundy talking about the whole Bundy story, which little did I know started in the 90s. And no, it started way in the 1800s. Well, that's true. It spans back uh, over like a, 100 years. This is a years. generational thing. It's yeah. a generational thing. And uh, to get the story, you know, there's been a lot of reporting especially during the 2014 incident up in Oregon. There's been a lot of reporting on this, and we've heard a lot of the mainstream reports about what happened. But Ryan, we sit down for uh, a long time, and he gives me the full story starting generations back as to what uh, happened from his side. And it blew my mind. This is a very smart guy. Of very dedicated to um, the constitutional rights and the, the American people, American citizens, and the concepts that underlie uh, you know, our entire nation. And uh, like I said, we laid down so much tape, we're actually going to split the interview into two episodes. And you know, I got to say, not only was this an awesome opportunity to learn, to hear firsthand a story that really 
got me all fired up. But also he gave me some uh, some melons that his family grew and they were delicious melons. I did not nice. know melons could be this delicious. Well, he, I, you didn't share any melons with no, me. I, he, that would have been nice. He kind of gave them to me after the interview and uh, <laughs> it was kind of fun. I mean, we just finished up. Uh, we were recording in his RV. I had traveled to meet him in his campaign RV which was uh, modest and, uh, I mean, really like doing the, the good work of campaigning around uh, his area. And at the end, he gave me a couple of Bundy melons and they were the nice. most delicious melons I've ever had, people. You need to go out. I don't know what you have to do, but find Bundy melons. They're delicious. I was really impressed with uh, all of the soundscaping that, that he was able to have during the conversation. It really impacted how he told the story there. Soundscaping? Gons, are you referring to your own pro sound production work that you've excellently maybe. executed? Uh, well, maybe, but there's also the just the natural sounds. Oh, yeah. The background noise. Oh, you will notice. Because we are recording in his RV... I mean, you'll hear planes fly by, you'll hear motorcycles, you'll hear cars. Don't get distracted. You know, it's all just, uh, it's all part of the soundscape of the, the boots on the ground aspect of uh, the interview we got to do. So I'm not going to apologize too much for that. But uh, anyhow, I mean, what else is there to say, Gons? I think we're ready to go. It's It's a long conversation. So again, yeah, just sit back and Really soak it in. Yeah, sit back, enjoy the, the long history of this situation. Now, I will say, uh, as you will notice right from the start, this is a very intense and heavy uh, topic. Not that it's necessarily, you know, intense and heavy all the way through, but it is, it's the real deal. So, you know, if you're, uh, I don't know, there's nothing, I don't know, there's no listener discretion being advised here, but just prepare yourself. <laughs> but there is at the meta level because you said it. <laughs> oh gosh, what have I done? <laughs> okay, you I created a meta loop. I think that's about it. Should we get into it, Gons? Let's do it. Okay. Well, where's those amp? Where's the gun? Got him stuck. He can't get around. Yeah. Hey, I'm. Okay, so they're shooting. Hey, I'm. Okay, yeah. okay I'm here. Go ahead and shoot me! Shoot him! Shoot him! Shoot him! Stay down, stay down. Stay down. Stay down. Stay down. Stay down. Shoot me! Shoot me! Near month-long standoff at a wildlife refuge in Oregon in the United States. One, One person's person been confirmed killed after a shootout, and the leader of the armed group has been arrested along with seven others. They're now facing charges of conspiracy to obstruct police. Now, recently there was a standoff in Oregon, obviously, you remember, with the militia. Uh, they had occupied a federal building for a long time with guns. And then they decided that they were going to go talk to a sheriff in a different county and, and try, try to, to do a coup in that, that county. So they got in their cars and started driving, and they were surprised that they were pulled over by the cops. Now, this whole thing is insane, because anybody else other than white right-wingers right take over a federal building armed and threaten to shoot cops who come in, which is exactly what they did, they'd be obliterated. Obliterated. We wouldn't be having a conversation. We wouldn't have a three-week standoff. We wouldn't let them drive around town and get mail. But they did. They were allowed to have food deliveries. <laughs> they were getting chicken soup for, for their, their terrorist, terrorist soul. soul. Okay, they, all this privilege. So 
when they're out driving around again, the cops go, all right, look, this is taking a long time. We've uh, spent a lot of money on it. We're gonna pull these guys over and finally arrest them. The exchange of gunfire reportedly took place on a highway, not at the facility where the group has been holed up since the beginning of the month. As the days rolled on, the armed militia attracted nationwide support. On January 2nd, an armed militia took over a wildlife refuge outside of Burns, Oregon, managed by the Federal Bureau of Land Management, or the BLM. The militia is led by Nevada native Amon Bundy and it's refused to leave until the government turns over the federal land to the people of Harney County. This is Canary Cry Radio. Well, hello, my name is Ryan Bundy. I am the eldest son of Cliven Bundy, who is the last rancher in Clark County, Nevada. And I am currently running for governor. I am a candidate for Nevada's next governor. And uh, so I'm here on the campaign trail today. Okay, sounds good. And the Bundy story is one that got national, maybe even international attention back in, what was it, 2014? Yeah, 2014. But, you know, we had national attention even earlier than that, even clear back in the early, early 90s. Why don't you tell me about that? Okay, well, uh, let me tell you a little bit about our ranch and our history. First of all, my pioneer ancestors moved to the west and settled in the Bunkerville, Nevada area on January 7th, 1877. So that's 141 years ago. And uh, they began to, you know, establish uh, grazing rights. Um, of course, they developed the farm ground there in the valley. But they also run cattle up on the, the hills of Bunkerville and down into Gold Butte and begin to use the waters there, develop the waters, put headhouses in, and basically establishing rights through beneficial use and prior appropriation. And so our rights that we claim now derive from those pioneer ancestors. Now those rights are recognized by Nevada state law. Uh, Nevada State Water Registry wasn't established until a few years later. Um, I think uh, 1890 was when the water re registry was was put together. Um, and of course, uh, our our waters were registered with that registry, which then protects our grazing and water rights. So this is really a, a historical, I mean, long lineage of what you're referring to the the water rights, the water usage for the ranching that your family's been doing. That is correct. And see, in those, you know, when water is registered with the Nevada State Water Registry, there's a purpose attached. And of course, our waters are registered as livestock waters. And so the waters are of zero value unless there's livestock there. And so that is how they connect. In other words, these are little teeny tiny springs in the desert hills and mountains. And oftentimes, uh, that water is so small, the trickle of the trickler stream is nothing more than, say, the size of a pencil, a very, very small trickle of stream. And yet, if that water is taken care of and placed in a tank, a storage tank, and then put in water troughs, it can build and actually water quite a few animals. But that water is valueless when it comes to, say, urban development. I mean, there's just not enough there to make a difference, okay? And furthermore, it's so far distance from any type of urban development that no one's going to put up that little, that little of stream 
and transfer it for a hundred miles to Las Vegas, so to speak. It's just not going to happen. So your family came in pioneers, part of the, you know, the long history of settling the West and putting it to use and found a resource that was unutilized and unutilizable by the metropolitan population and utilized it for farm animals or ranch animals, which therefore serves the greater good of the community as a whole, right? Absolutely. Okay. Now, furthermore, you know, when we as ranchers develop a water and we gather that water up and put it in a trough, of course, our cattle are not the only ones who utilize it. That water is now then utilized by all the wildlife around, you know, rabbits, quail, deer, chucker, you know, whatever might come along now benefits from that. So our presence there increases the viability of wildlife. So what's the problem? There shouldn't be one. Okay, now I want to talk more about the forage also, because our grazing rights or forage rights, and I want to point out that these are rights, they are not privileges, but these rights are uh, inseparably connected to the water rights. Because again, these water rights are livestock watering rights. Now, again, out there, I, I, I express the distance and the uniqueness of these little water, these little springs, and that they can't be transferred. And so if cattle can't drink out of them, then they're really not good for anything. And if cattle are going to drink out of them, then cattle have to be there to drink out of them. And the cattle are going to eat the feed around them. And so because they are going to eat the feed, then a grazing right is inseparably connected. Because if you don't have the right to graze the cattle, then the water is of no value. So the, the grazing and water rights are inseparably connected because one is not good without the other and in either direction. And so these rights, grazing rights and water rights that we own are protected by state law. Now, the Bureau of Land Management wants to make people believe that there is no right. They want to make people believe that it's only a privilege that they are the landlord and they own everything and that those who are on it, the, the ranchers, are only there by their permission and no grazing right exists. And this is simply not true. So we're talking about the 1980s where we're starting this story. Well, actually the 1880s, 1880s. 1877. Right. Okay. okay. And of course, building into 1890 when the water registry was created. Yeah. And then, of course, my family ancestors have been grazing cattle there ever since. Now, of course, my father's not that old. I'm not that old. So we in inherited or purchased those grazing rights from our predecessors, um, which some of those predecessors are family members and some of them are not. Now, uh, obviously, that in the early pioneer days, most everybody had a few head of cattle. And as time went on, fewer people had cattle, but those who did had more cattle. And now it's to the point where in that area, it is only my father and I who are there and no one else. Wow. And so there came a point where there was some tension between you guys and your right to be there and what the state was saying or was sure. it the feds 
and it's the Fed. So let me go into that. Let me go into the 1980s now. So mm -hmm. we skip 100 years. So we've got 100 years always uh, operating under those rights. And now um, the Bureau of Land Management wants to remove all the cattlemen from the land in Clark County. Why is that? Well, they use the excuse that uh, there's endangered species. You know, this was after the Endangered Species Act was passed, and so now they're they're trying to find endangered species that thus need protection. And in e each area of the country, they choose one critter or another. Of course, this is not, you know, they choose a critter or another as an excuse and as a reason to to gain control over the land. In our area, they chose the desert tortoise. And then they claimed that the cattle were uh, negatively affecting the viability of the desert tortoise. And so with that statement, they made a full force and effect decision to remove all the cattle off the desert lands. And they actually had in their office a motto which stated, no more moo by 92 and mm. cattle free by 93. Wow. Okay, so that was obviously their goal to remove all the cattle. And so they began to do this by creating regulations and restrictions on grazing and times and restrictions on numbers of cattle that can be going on the range. And, and, and what they would do is they would stress a rancher, uh, until his ranch was no longer viable and therefore he would fold because he couldn't, couldn't make it anymore. There was no more profit left in it. The expenses exceeded because of, he couldn't meet the reg regulations that they were placing upon him. Now we could go into a long history as to where the Bureau of Land Management came from, how they come into existence and a few things like that. And I don't know if you want to go into that history. Yeah. If there's a summary of that, I'm, that would be something that I think our listeners would be very interested in. Okay. Well, let me, let me go back to 1877 when my, and my pioneer ancestors moved here, because of course there was no Bureau of Land Management then. There was no forest service. There was no monuments. There was no any of these things. This was open land that was available for, you know, settlement. Now, interestingly enough, the, the land that in the valleys that became Bunkerville, Mesquite, Logandale, Overton, and these settlements in Southern Nevada, the pioneers purchased that land from the state of Nevada. Okay. And I want to point that out clear that they didn't purchase it from the federal government. Mm. Okay. Because, and I, uh, the constitution for the United States does not allow for the federal government to own and control land except for the express purposes in article one, section eight, clause 17, which first of all lays out the 10 mile square, which is known as Washington, DC. And other places purchased after getting the state legislature's consent. And then those lands can only be used for military bases, arsenals, dockyards, and other needful buildings. This is part of the explicit separation between the state level government, which state meaning almost a sovereign state and the federal government. And almost uh, is not a proper word there. It, these are supposed to be sovereign states. That The federal government has no sovereignty. 
In fact, the state government has no sovereignty. It's we, the people, who are sovereign in America. And that's established clearly in the preamble to the Constitution, where it states that we, the people, do hereby ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. So we, the people, are the sovereign. Now, we exercise our sovereignty through the state often. And so the state, when we claim that the state has sovereignty, it's because of her people. The federal government does not have sovereignty. Okay, and so, but each individual and independent state, now we have formed a union to which we are a member of, and we have established a central government we know as the federal government, and we have tasked them with 18 or 19 enumerated powers. And so that's what the Constitution is all about. The federal government only has 19 powers, 19 authorities that it can do, and nothing more. And so if the federal government has authority to do anything, it is listed in the Constitution. And so when we look at land ownership and land control and land management, Okay, well, where in the Constitution is that found? Well, there's two places where we give the federal government some authority over the control of land. And, of course, the first one is Article 1, Section 8, Clause 17. And, and so that is dealing with lands inside of a state. In other words, the federal government cannot own land within an admitted state of the Union except for those express purposes, military bases, arsenals, dockyards, and other needful buildings. Otherwise, the feds do not have authority to own land within a state. The other place where the federal government does have control over the land is in Article 4, wherein we give Congress uh, the power to dispose of and make the needful rules and regulations respecting a territory. Okay, Now, a territory is not a state. There's a big difference between a territory and a state. A territory is not mature, so to speak. A territory is, is just forming, and, and when a territory becomes mature enough, and there are certain specifications to denote that maturity, then it can apply for statehood and become a state. What's an example of a territory? Well, right now, Puerto Rico is a territory. Hmm. Guam is a territory of the United States. Of course, all the lands other than the original 13 states have at one time been territory. Um, These western lands in the southwest, comprising of the states now of California, Nevada, Arizona, New Mexico, Utah, and Colorado, or at least the major parts of those over there, came in through the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo after the Mexican-American War and became territory of the United States. Um, Now that territory, of course, was later broken up into the various states that we recognize today. And there is quite a bit of history on their formation. The boundaries changed several times while they were territories. Once a state is established, then the boundaries are pretty secure. Nevada's did change after it was admitted into a state a little bit. But for the most part, once a state is made a state, then the boundaries don't change anymore. But territories, the boundaries change a bit in its maturity. So So. constitutionally, there's some very specific rules as to what the federal government can and can't do, lands they can and can't own, and suddenly we have this thing called the BLM, 
where does that come from and how does that tie in prior to the blm um again let me let me back up just a little bit to make make sense of all this the the ranchers or the people who came out and settled the west again be, began to establish rights by prior appropriation that means they're the first here they begin to use it and by beneficial use okay so for right to be established one has to make beneficial use of it you can't just put a flag in the ground and say hey this is mine and then walk away and expect to come back in 10 years or whatever and it still be yours no you got to be making beneficial use of it and even state laws you know now like with water and so forth if you're not continually making beneficial use of a natural resource then you will lose the right to it okay so our founding fathers or not our founding fathers our pioneer fathers came here and began to utilize the natural resources in the land by beneficial use and prior appropriation and established rights the registries for the state do not create right they just register the rights that are created and thus it becomes a, me a method of defense and protection for that right and so these rights were established and various people began to run cattle and establish ranches but there was some confusion as to the boundaries in other words one rancher might traditionally be running his cows in a certain area and another rancher's cows come over there and a lot of times they would run in common but it was just kind of open but there began to be conflicts between who has right to run in what area and it was becoming a serious matter you know we talk about range wars and sometimes they got bloody between families I don't think that it always did, but, you know, that's where all the Western movies come from, mm -hmm. you know, or a bunch of them, you yeah, know. Yeah, <laughs> we wouldn't have all those exciting cowboy movies without that. Gotcha. Know? And so because of that problem, uh, the federal government said, hey, we need to step in. We need to, we need to resolve these disputes. Now, so they created the um, uh, land offices or the uh, grazing boards. There we go. That's the right effort. Land offices were more for... Um, uh, giving land away and so forth and they're like homestead acts and so forth like that but the grazing boards were an establishment of uh, uh, the various grazers to help establish those boundaries now let me tell you how the grazing boards worked the grazing boards were made up of the various ranchers who amongst themselves elected the board members then the board members would take into consideration you know who was claiming rights in which area and um and through a process adjudicate the boundaries okay and so um and again this board was made up of the various ranchers it was not a governmental agency. It was not the government coming in and settling the score. It was basically setting up a system where the ranchers can settle it for themselves. Now, the role that the federal government had was, one, they would monitor, you know, the meetings. They would keep a record of the decisions made. So they were a record-keeping agency. And uh, they would map out the boundaries once they were decided what was not taking place was an establishment of rights 
the rights were already established. This was just an adjudication or a judgment as to the boundaries where these rights existed. Okay, so the federal government recognized that the rights already existed. That's the key point here. Okay. And for that service, because this was a service being provided to the ranchers by the federal government, and not wanting to cost the taxpayers in general, the ranchers who were receiving the benefit of this service began to pay a fee for that service. Okay. Now, after the adjudication was all made, then, hey, we have points on a map, and we have boundaries, but we don't have fences. And so then it, it transformed into a situation where this grazing board began to utilize and help the ranchers with building the fences, improving the ranges, uh, improving their waters, improving their corrals, you know, their infrastructure of their ranch. And again, for this service, the ranchers paid a fee and it went into a, a fund where then a rancher could say, hey, you know, petition the fund uh, or the grazing board to do an improvement on their ranch. In fact, that is where most of the money went. Now, along the way, somehow this grazing board turned into the Bureau of Land Management. Okay. And so the fee continued to be going on. And the Bureau of Land Management now took, took over the 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 operations of the board they had the maps and to this day if you want a good map of the land you go to the bureau of land management that's how all that started they have the maps because that's where they come from and people the ranchers have been paying this fee for so long they just continue to pay it they were paying a service paying for a service the bureau of land management denotes that it is a service type organization okay and then the ranchers began to sign contracts with the Bureau of Land Management. But never did the Bureau of Land Management own the land. Never did they own the grazing rights. Through the various acts of Congress that deal with this, always recognizes that the rights belong to the ranchers, always. And that these services were there only to improve the rights and improve the, the ranches. To, so that it could be, we could provide beef for America. That was the purpose. Okay. But after a generation or two, and after we became so accustomed to paying these fees, and after the Bureau of Land Management became so accustomed to this position, they began to assume that they owned the land. They began to assume that they owned the rights. And they began to assume that the ranchers did not own the rights and that they were only there by privilege of the agency, the Bureau of Land Management, which is historically untrue. It's just untrue. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting because anyone who looks into the history of this kind of stuff, the founding fathers, the pioneer fathers, the settling fathers, the, the real history of this country, as far as the, rights are concerned you know they're given by god they're inalienable they're you know man and the earth are there to to get stuff done i mean that's really what it's there for and it's only seems only within the last i'll call it a century but maybe even half a century when it got real ramped up 
And, you know, I think you put it best where the, the, in this case, the federal government started to make assumptions and they have the, uh, if not the, well, what I'm hearing is they don't necessarily have the authority, but they have the resources to enforce whatever authority they want. They have the power. They yeah. have the barrel of the gun. Yeah. Okay. To put it blank, uh, bluntly. So and, where does this collide with your, your, with your family? Well, it collides with my family when we started to realize that their management practices and purposes were no longer there to improve the ranch and productivity and that they intended to manage us out of business. Okay. When we start to see management practices that we know are going to be detrimental to our viability as a ranching operation, and we start watching our neighbors falter and fall in, in financial woe, my father finally said, you know what? I don't need this type of management anymore. Okay. Back to the contracts. You know, each rancher had been signing the contracts with the Bureau of Land Management. And of course, over the years, those contracts um, developed into more control for the BLM and less for the rancher. And this is where all the misunderstanding really come about. It's the slow frog in the boiling pot situation. Exactly. Okay. So again, the ranchers had forgotten who they were. They had forgotten about their rights. They, again, because of this generational gap, the original ranchers would have understood their rights, but the younger generations grew up under this management system and paying the fees and signing the contracts. And so all they understood was, is that's what they were supposed to do. And they had forgotten who they were. They had forgotten what they had. They had forgotten their rights and they had forgotten their freedoms. And therefore they became enslaved like the frog in the slow boiling pot of water that wouldn't jump out until he's done. Okay. And so these ranchers around us are done. Now, my father, on the other hand, um, still had a little bit of that understanding of old, but he didn't understand well enough himself. And so he was still the frog in the pot, but instead of just boiling there, he began to read, he began to study, he began to try to understand what was right and what was wrong. He felt what was going on was wrong, but he didn't know what was right. It was stressing him to the point that he was physically ill. I mean, in fact, I remember him. He was, you know, in his, in his early 40s, and yet he was so ill from the stress of all this was causing him. He was bedridden. He was on oxygen like an old man, 90 years old. And, and I and my brothers were one half now doing all the work because he was stressed out. And, but while he was in that position, he began to study, he began to learn, he began to read. And he came to the understanding that, wait a second here, the federal government is not as powerful as they make out to be. They don't have all the authority that they claim that they have, and they only have what limited authority we have given them. And we did not give them authority to own and control land within an admitted state of the union. And with that came a great light. He's like, who is the BLM? They have no right to even be in existence. There's no federal land for them to be administering or to be managing. 
they don't exist according to the Constitution. And, and then he got studying contracts. The only way an agency such as that has any authority over a rancher or anybody else is if they sign contracts, because contracts are legally and upheld within the Constitution. And so he goes, I don't want to be a participant in this anymore. I'm not going to sign their contract anymore. I'm going to, to stand upon my own rights that are registered and recognized in the state of Nevada, and I'm going to operate my business, my ranch, that way. I do not need the services of that management organization known as the BLM. I will not ask for monies anymore to improve my land. I will stand on my own two feet and use my own funds to improve my own ranch. And therefore, I don't need the Bureau of Land Management anymore. So he squarely fired them. And he did that by sending a letter to the solicitor of the United States office informing them that, hey, thank you for your services in the past. I'm no longer in need of your services. Good day. So cool. <laughs> so cool. And it's really that simple. You know, if you don't want the Bureau of Land Management to have control over your ranch, if you are a right owner, then simply cancel your contracts and stand upon your own two feet. Wow. And it took, it's, I mean, it seems like that it took not just your father, but ranchers as a whole, seem, seemingly starting with your father, you know, almost a hundred years to realize that this had gotten out of control. And, you know, step by step, as we see in many different areas of society today, you know, step by step, every new contract that comes across your desk that you're signing without really paying attention to it maintaining the status quo what you don't see is that you know it literally is chipping away at formerly what was rightfully yours i mean a more pedestrian uh, audience might uh, recognize this with things like itunes agreements or things like that where you just kind of sign them because that's what you do and that's what you've been doing and hasn't caused any trouble so far and yet, when you decide that you don't want to do that anymore, start causing trouble. You know, every time you lay your name down on a document, you are creating a contract. In fact, a contract doesn't have to be made just simply by signing your name. You know, there's verbal contracts, nonverbal contracts. You know, there's, there's all kinds of contracts we can get into. And so you have to be very careful about the contracts you enter. Because contracts are legally binding, and we have to honor the contracts we make. Of course, there are eight elements to a proper contract, and if not all eight of those elements are made, then that gives one reason to state that the contract is null and void because not all eight are met. And of course, full disclosure and agreement by both parties is part of that, and it can't be done through coercion or force. And so there's a lot of elements that can break a contract if, if not all eight were made. And does that play a role in the, the actions that your father took? Or is, was that an aspect of, um, oh, well, real quick, off the top of your head, are you able to remember all eight of those? I'm, I'm <laughs> curious for myself now. 
I have it on my computer over here. I can look it up. I should know them off the top of my head. <laughs> um, but, um, and, and so I can't, I can't quote that's them right okay. off the top of my head. That's but. okay. Yeah. Well, and you know, that's interesting because as the listeners will know, I've led on, oh, over the past few years, just my fascination with the legal system and with contracts and some parallels that that runs with some uh, more esoteric practices. But yeah, I mean, really putting your name down, putting your mark on something, you're making an agreement. And yes. so that's why it's so important, especially in the world of today's terms of uses and agreements and things like that, simply for doing something as simple as getting a Facebook account. That's what's getting a lot of people in hot water nowadays. But let's get back to the real story. Your father sent that, I'm sure, very polite letter to the government saying he's not interested anymore. And it was polite. There's no need. I mean, there is a time to be belligerent, but you don't always have to be. Okay. And so, you can you can state your facts and your and your purposes and your and your intentions. You can state it politely and, and with just as much force. And so that's what he did. He you know again he just said thank you for your services in the past. They're no longer needed. I will manage my ranch you know operating my on, on my own rights, and and that be done. You know interestingly enough, the Bureau of Land Management had also become accustomed to the you know, the position that they were in. Imagine that. And they did not know how to handle what my father had done. Now, again, my father didn't send his notice to the Bureau of Land Management. He sent it to the solicitor's office of the United States, to the solicitor's office. Of course, the solicitor then distributes it to the appropriate places. And of course, then it made it back to the Bureau of Land Management and particularly the Las Vegas office. But the statement was clear, and we have stood by it ever since. Now, we have operated without dealing with the Bureau of Land Management ever since. I think that letter and that official contract voidance was made in 1993. And uh, uh, you you asked earlier, did those eight aspects help us break the contract? Well, luckily, we were at a point where we were not currently in a contract. There was no contract we needed to break. We simply did not renew another contract. And so that was beneficial. Those ranchers who are currently in contracts, and many of those contracts are 10-year contracts, um, they could study those aspects, those eight aspects of a contract, and if there's a breach of those, then they can cancel their current and existing contracts. And so your father sent in the letter. How did they go about handling that? Well, because they believe they own the land, because they believe they own the rights, and because they believe the rancher is only a tenant upon the land, um, a leasee, then they put out a notice that our grazing privileges have been terminated. Which is a weird throwback to a feudalistic hierarchy exactly it is because under that feudalistic system you know the landlords own all the land and the serfs upon it are simply tenants on the land and so we get into a serfdom type situation and yet that's what america has become again and it, it's amazing how history repeats itself you know we call it by different names different terms and yet it's still the same thing yeah very interesting so they revoke your grazing rights 
privileges, privileges. According to them. yeah according to them and uh then what well uh, of course then they they put trespass notices out and of course we we simply you know respond with you know you have no authority and so this is null and void and we continued to operate upon our rights ignoring their their notices and uh, then they went to a federal judge and okay so now here we got a federal agency with federal agents and they got and they're claiming law enforcement they're claiming power and they take it to a federal judge what do you think a federal judge is going to do he's going to rule in favor of the feds okay and so so they issue a court order to remove our cattle and that was in 1998 i believe and of course again it's all illegitimate and so we ignore that now that court order went they weren't able to enforce it. Several times they were tried to come and gather our cattle and they sent contract cowboys out several times uh, or they attempted to several times. And each time we just put a notice out, which we called a constructive notice. We sent that notice to the county commissioners. We sent it to the county sheriff. We sent it to the governor. We sent it to the state brand inspector. We sent it, of course, to the contract cowboys that they had hired. We sent it to the BLM. But basically, this constructive notice just put everybody on notice that, hey, these are our rights. We expect the state and the county to protect our rights because they are legal and lawful according to state law. And that if anyone does any damage to our property, in other words, our cows, or our range improvements, then they would be fully held liable. And so usually, in fact, several times, the contract cowboys didn't want any part of it because they didn't want to get involved in legal messes. And several other times, the county sheriff would put a stop to any such gather because he was honoring our rights. He was doing our, his job. Sounds like a classic uh, time when the sheriff would be the good guy. You know, you see it in movies and TV shows, you know, the sheriff, he's caring for his local people. And it's so funny because you think of whoever's at the top over there, Somebody's got to know, but they got to, you know, somebody's got to know that, you know, that's why it takes years for anything, you know, besides letters and visits to happen necessarily. But somebody's got to know that, you know, these guys, these ranchers have a point, but we can't let them know that. And we can't let the other ranchers know that they got a point. Oh, exactly. I can tell you more about that when we got into... Oregon and in, uh, in Malheur, that's exactly what we were doing was we were teaching the ranchers and the people about their rights, how they're created, how they are protected. And the government said, the virus is spreading, it must be stopped. And that's when they ambushed and killed Lavoie and shot me. But that's down the road in our story a little bit from where we're at. It's a so great far. teaser. <laughs> so we'll there's get, your teaser. That's we'll right. Get there. <laughs> we'll get there. Well, it's been a fascinating discussion so far between Ryan Bundy and our own Basil. We'll get back to the conversation in just a moment, but I wanted to take a second and thank everybody because, look, this podcast is fully listener-supported, and that's both financially and spiritually. You know, financially, you can support us through places like patreon.com slash canarycryradio, or if you visit canarycryradio.com slash support, there's other options there. But, you know, more importantly, 
we welcome your prayers for the Lord's covering as we put ourselves out there and bring you the most important discussions on the fringes of media from a grounded biblical perspective. We've always been about sharing the gospel here. That's been the most important thing. But, you know, we like exploring the topics that few like to explore. So thank you so much for your support, guys. We really appreciate it. And let's get back to Ryan Bundy and Basil. Okay, so back to 1993. Um, you know, let me tell you a little bit more about um, some of the other ranchers, our neighboring ranchers. Because on our particular ranch, which, by the way, when the grazing boards adjudicated, they, they, they called these different areas allotments. And so the Bunkerville allotment is, is where we grazed. Now, we weren't there alone. There were uh, four or five other ranchers that are with us. And so we run in common on this particular allotment. Now, when the Bureau of Land Management was using the desert tortoise as the excuse Oh, the cattle are damaging the desert tortoise, and therefore they must be removed from the land. And, you know, with full force and effect, we're taking them all off. And so the other ranchers said, hey, wait a second here. You don't have any scientific proof that the cattle are doing damage. And so they challenged them in a, in a lawsuit. In other words, the ranchers sued the BLM because they didn't have any scientific proof. And they spent about $100,000 in legal fees and lawyers and so forth to do this. And so they went to the courts, and guess what? The ranchers won. The Bureau of Land Management could not come up with any scientific proof that the cattle were doing damage to the tortoise. So we won. We should have, should have been over at that point, right? No. Within a few days, the Bureau of Land Management simply changed their word. They changed one word. They changed it from, they just added the word may. So instead of the cattle are doing damage to the desert tortoise, the cattle may do damage to the desert tortoise. They added that element of possibility, of doubt, of, you know, perhaps. And therefore, then they reissued their full force and effect and began to remove the cattle off the ground again. So $100,000 down the drain, and the other ranchers, and by the way, my father didn't really participate in that lawsuit because... He had already learned beyond the point there. Why beat the bushes when you should be cutting the root of the problem? Mm. Okay, so fighting this issue out here as to whether or not the cattle were detrimental to the desert tortoise meant nothing. The root of the problem was that the Bureau of Land Management doesn't have any authority to be in existence. And so cut the root. Quit beating the bushes. Yeah. Okay, so those ranchers went about to beat the bushes, and guess what? They got a few neat leaves knocked off the bush. But in the end, the plant was still there, the problem was still there, and they just grew new leaves and new branches. And so it disheartened those ranchers, and they ended up falling like so many others, and they left the industry. But your dad but my dad stood strong and so that left us in fact by the way those few ranchers that did that lawsuit were the last of the last in clark county already 
in other words, all the others had already been run off. We're down to the last few. They run those off, and it left my dad alone. Now, there was one other rancher who still stayed with him. His name was Keith Nay. He lived a few years, but he passed away. And so at his passing, then my father became the last man standing, the last rancher standing in Clark County. Wow. And he's still there today. Still there today. So all of that took place in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, that official contract cancellation was in 93. And um, we've been operating on our rights ever since. Wow. That's amazing. And to some degree, not to belittle the, the efforts or the experiences of the other ranchers, but like you said, they were beating the bush trying to play the game that the feds invented, basically. Yep. And who would have known the strategy that your father took it has lasted this long? I mean, is there, I'm sure it's an ongoing struggle for him to keep this going, but was there any point where it looked like it wasn't going to be, well, where he wasn't going to be able to hang on this long? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. There's been many others who've just been watching us and they're like, oh, you're going to fall. You're going to fall. You know, one of these days you're, you're, you know, they're going to come and get you type of deal. And yet we've outlived them. <laughs> well, so. right. And, and it, it, it's a great <clears throat> testament. I mean, you consider if the feds really had the established legal right, if they really were able to deliver on all the threats that they're going to make, if they really, you know, knew that they were the, the feudalistic nobles who could do whatever they want with the serfs, they would just come in with a SWAT team or something and Nabia and... Well, and that's what they're trying to do now. And of course we saw, and that, that really jumped us right up to 2014. Yeah. Because that's really what they what they attempted to do. So 2014, tell me again, you, you gave us a little intro as to what you guys went up to Oregon to do. Why, why don't we start from the beginning of that story? Well, maybe we ought to, we, we really haven't got into 2014 and kind of the finish of, of our story there before we go into to Oregon. Lead the way. Okay, so in, in 1998, they, they did get that uh, court order. That court order was never enforced uh, never could be enforced and so after a certain amount of time it simply became null and void and was dismissed but in 2012 or uh, 2010 actually they got a new blm director and that new blm director was all motivated to to press and push this issue in other words we had kind of won uh, they had left us alone for many years um, but this new blm director uh, Mary Jo Rugwell was her name, was all out to even the score. And of course, she had the motivation and the push of environmental organizations, primarily the Center for Biological Diversity, pushing her to do so. And so she said, so she went to the courts and she said, we need to renew this court order. Well, I mean, how does a dismissed case just get renewed? I mean, that sounds it sounds like there's a problem there. But, of course, we're talking federal court and the federal situation, so they're going to do whatever the federal agencies want. And so they went ahead and renewed this court order. And, and then with it, they added another order called New Trespass Lands. And let me tell you about that just a little bit. Because the allotment just south of us, which is called the Gold Butte allotment, the ranchers were gone from there. Okay? 
So there's a void. Now, in Nevada, there's a law that says that if you own property and you don't want animals from the open range coming onto your property, then it's your obligation as the property owner to fence out. You know, those who are out on the range don't have the obligation to fence in. That's why it's called open range. So, so Nevada is known as a fence out state. Okay. So this neighboring allotment, which we did not originally claim rights to, but there's no, the fences are not being maintained to keep our cattle out. And so as the fences break down, our cattle move down into there. Okay. There's no one currently claiming the grazing rights. There's no one currently claiming the water rights. The fences are not being maintained. In other words, there's an opportunity now for someone to reestablish beneficial use in that area. And so our cows go down there. And so we begin to use it and, um, and start to establish beneficial use on those ranges. In other words, we're expanding our ranch. So then the Bureau of Land Management, you know, says, hey, wait a second. These are new lands that you're trespassing upon. And so they got a separate order to, to try to prevent us from doing that. We said, hey, all you got to do is maintain your fences. If you claim, you know, ownership down there, maintain your fences. But they don't want, the feds don't want to obey state law. They claim exemption. Oh, we don't have to obey that law. All right, well, who's going to, you know. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Yeah. You know, so you can't come and say, we're trespassing when you won't maintain your fence. It's your responsibility to keep us off, not for us to keep ours in. But, but either way, there is, there is that beneficial use laws and, and, and system. And nobody's making beneficial use of it. So our cattle began to, and, and we went with it. So they got these two court orders now, um, and they, these were new and refreshed, you know, between 2010 and 2012. And they started to set up a, a, a system where they can hire contract cowboys and come gather our cattle. And we put out another constructive notice, noticing all those same things, that our rights exist, we expect our elected officials to protect them, and that we will hold anyone accountable who, who damages our rights and our property. And so that effectively, along with the sheriff putting a stop to it, stopped the gather in 2012. So then between 2012 and 2014... The gather meaning contract cowboys coming to get your cattle that's correct okay. yes so between 2012 and 2014 they began to build an operational plan and build up a military force to come after us with with stronger stronger means and so that's what would happen in 2014 so in 2014 the bureau of land management along with the uh, national park systems i mean it was a complete military base i mean they set up with uh they had a command post they had well over 200 vehicles there um i know that there was like 160 something armed you know forces along with there was there was over 200 people there anyway how they were all divided up you know there was different roles that they were playing but they're setting up a whole operation sure and they had they had uh MRAPs and they had sniper teams and they had um, uh, helo operations which is high elevation surveillance you know they had the, the drone the high elevation drones they had a lower elevation aircraft also 
um, that were running full time. They uh, at one point there was an Apache helicopter that didn't show up on our ranch, but was set uh, close by for a quick response. Um, again, the snipers set up around our house and surveilled our house. They put a uh, you know high tech surveillance equipment around our house, video videoing us, sending live feed to their command post. Um, anyway, it, it was an attack. They set up the First Amendment zones. Can't forget about those. The free speech zones? The free speech zones. <laughs> okay. Now, uh, anyway, everybody, everybody hates that. Everybody, you know, y you laugh at it, not because it's funny, but because how ridiculous they oh, believe yeah. that they are. Yeah, right. Okay. That they could, they believe that they are the arbiter of rights, that they could give or take a right at their will and wish, that our, our Bill of Rights mean nothing, that they could simply go in and close an area down and put up a little pig pen and say, this is where you can exercise your First Amendment, which means they suspended, according to them, your right to your First Amendment everywhere else. Yeah. Okay, if they can do that with the First Amendment rights, then they can do it with all of them. Which means, and if they can suspend rights, means we don't have any rights. And I want to talk about that for a minute. Please do. Because there is a difference between rights and privileges. Yeah, I want to use your house as an example. If you own your house, you don't ask anyone permission to go into your own house. You own it. Now, if you have paid for that house and you own it outright, in other words, you don't have obligations, liens, and so forth, and mortgages, you're paying on it, then you don't pay for the utilization of that right. It's yours. Now, if it's not yours and you don't own it, and somebody else owns it, which means you are just renting it, then you do have to have permission to enter that house. And you have to have a contract for that permission and you pay for the privilege okay when you are renting you do not have a right to that house you have a privilege to that house the owner has the right and he is allowing you by permission to be there okay so if you're a renter you have permission to be in the house but you do not have a right if you own it you have the right and because you have that right then you can rent it to someone else okay so that's the difference between a right and a privilege a right you own. No one can take it away from you. Not rightfully. Okay. Wrongfully, yeah, there's ways to take things away from you. But your rights, your God-given inalienable rights, are just that. They're inalienable. In other words, they cannot be alienated from you. So your right to the freedom of speech and to the freedom of religion, which are those that are protected by the First Amendment, the government cannot take those from you and say they only exist in a certain area. Okay? And, and, be, and because most people recognize that and realize that, when these guys set up First Amendment areas, it infuriated the nation. Mm -hmm. That was one reason that thousands of people came to the ranch in 2014. And again, it's mind-boggling where... You know, we talk about the feds, we talk about the system, we talk about, you know, those a-holes over at the BLM, all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, I mean, those are just human beings, just like you and I. And 
it's not often that I'm unable to put myself in someone else's shoes. But when a group of people think that they're able to take away the rights of others, that's just a mindset I can't even get into. I mean, maybe it's a part of the sickness of the system, or maybe it's the, the twisting that comes with power or whatever it may be. But, uh, you know, that's just my two cents about it. No, I agree with you. There is a problem there and it's a problem in, in our minds and in the mindsets of those who are participating in that, in those activities. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it is a sickness. It is a power sickness, I think. Um, you know, the authority sickness might, might call it. Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. Now smash cut back to the ranch. You got okay. snipers, you got cameras, you got boots <clears throat> on the ground, you got vehicles. I mean, this is one thing that blows my mind. You know, all this is done. Of course, there's the whole sickness with authority and they want to maintain authority. And sure, maybe they want to send a signal to the other ranchers and thus the rest of the citizens of the United States or however they want to think of them. Uh, and, you know, you can think of all these reasons, but ultimately, you know, at least as far as on paper, this all goes back to the tortoises, right? Yeah. Yeah. So but the tortoises were just an excuse. They well, want that's them. That's what I'm saying. It's yeah. like, it's, of course, it's just an excuse. And when you start seeing a lineup of, they're not going to spend all the tax, the tax dollars that it takes to set up a small military force to wrangle up a bunch of cows and keep an eye on the ranchers. If there wasn't something behind it. And again, it could just be the sickness, but if you're a certain type of mind, one wonders what kind of bigger agenda is behind this sort of thing. Well, you know, I, I'm asked this type of question often and, uh, you know, I'll say, oh, is it, is there gold under there? Is there silver under there? Is uranium under there? Is there, you know, is there this or is there that? And, you know, when it comes right down to it, I don't know the answer to that other than I do know that they want control. Some would you know, chalk it up to something as simple as they just want to metropolitize all the citizens and move the food products uh, producing into factories. Or well, something. let me tell you this. Everything that we have comes from the land. Everything. You know, the food you eat, the clothes you wear, the car you drive, everything you have comes from the land. That is wealth. Wealth derives from the land and the resources upon it. And so those who control the land control the wealth. And those who control the wealth control everything else. And so when it comes right down to it, whether it's gold, uranium, or whatever. Water. Water is a huge resource that you know, we have to have. When you control that, I mean, that's one of the natural resources. But... They want control because then they have control over everything. They have control of over our very lives. They become the slave masters and we are the slaves. And we're just about at that point. Yeah. So this small militarized force that was originally supposed to be facilitators of the betterment of, uh, you know, the land which provides food for the country. They've now become militarized and are sitting outside your front door well and let me tell you i you know in in building up to this we knew that they were building we knew that they were coming 
and so they you know there was the different uh means and methods that they were using such as they had a blm special agent getting try to get in contact with each one of my you know us my brothers and i to try to to see what was going to happen they were trying to get a feel for how this was going to go down and so i had a conversation over the phone with one of them which by the way is a mistake never talk to a federal agent they are liars they are manipulators and they will twist everything you say to do you harm well, you, you've heard the, the statement that, you know, you have the right to remain silent. Everything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. Just be ensured that it will be used against, not can and will be, it will be used against you. And even if you, what you're saying is good and right, it will be twisted to be used against you. So in other words, it's better not to say anything at all. I knew that, and yet I still spoke with him. And so my advice to anybody is simply don't speak to anyone who belongs to the federal government. Just don't. But anyway, I had this conversation. And this conversation, we, we, we spoke about law enforcement authority. And I clearly pointed out that the Bureau of Land Management are not law enforcers. They don't have law enforcement authority. That belongs to the county sheriff. Um, and he said, oh, yes, we do. Oh, and I said, oh, no, you don't have a program. And he says, he said, well, you better not bring guns. And I said, well, you better not bring guns because um, you don't have any authority to be here doing this. You know? yeah. And he says, well, we are coming. And he goes, and this will be the next Waco or Ruby Ridge, and we will kill you. Oh, my gosh. Okay, that comes straight out of the mouth of Michael Johnson, Bureau of Land Management Special Agent Michael Johnson. He told me that he would kill me. Ten days in advance of well, all this starting. I mean, uh, what is going through your head? I mean, uh, the, forget having everything set up. I mean, the, for years, like 20 years, you know, you're dealing with this and you're standing your ground and suddenly it gets all militarized outside your house and you're talking to this guy and you know they're keeping an eye on you and you they're getting ready for something and you're hole up with your your family or whoever you know i don't know what the situation was there what's the vibe what's going on what are you guys talking to each other about how are you feeling when he says that what do you when he says that what what's in your mind for what's coming next well you know we've always said we'll do whatever it takes to defend our our rights and whatever it takes means whatever it takes and we don't know what it's going to take all we can do is take it day to time and you know in a moment at a time but you know, I knew it was coming. I knew what they in, their intentions were. Their intentions were to kill us. He told me so, straight up. Yeah, it seems pretty clear at that point. Yeah. His intentions were to destroy our ranch, to, to take our property, to leave us in absolute despotism. Which, if you go to the Declaration of Independence, you will realize that that is the situation that our founding fathers were in. Yeah. And, uh, and, and they, they point out that that's what was taking place and and here we were in a very similar situation absolute despotism but what what are we to do at that point we were just you know a lone little family down in the desert and it's you know we weren't prepared to fight a military force of 200 armed men you know we weren't i mean my dad's got an old shotgun that doesn't 
eject the shells properly. I mean, that's the kind of, you know, I mean, it's not like we're gunned up or geared up, you know, yeah. and anyway, that's just not who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're just a simple old ranching family and now we've got a military force down upon us. And in fact, we didn't even learn how serious it was until years later when we were in incarcerated and got going and studying through the, the discovery and all the things that were taking, you know, going on. And so this was post facto learning, but we learned that it was their intent to attack us right in our front yard, so to speak, in our face, so that we would be, they were trying to entice us into an engagement. You're trying to poke the bear. Exactly. Yeah. They were trying to antagonize us into an, a, a, an engagement, wherefore then they would be justified in killing us. Mm. Okay. The alternative plan was, is if they couldn't entice us into an engagement, that they would create a situation into where we could be prosecuted and then imprisoned for the rest of our lives. And that was ended up carried out. Okay. Not quite to their, their exact desired way, but ultimately that still happened. That's why they arrested us and put us in prison while we waited uh, trial and of course, the the charges that they had brought against us, uh, had we been convicted of them, would have resulted in a minimum prison sentence of over a hundred years. Wow! So, so what what was the 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 action? What happened? Like, what was the result? How did they get you? What was the well? Um, <clears throat> after that phone call, how did things resolve? <laughs> well, that phone call was about 10 days in advance of them setting up their compound. Okay. But they began to set up their compound and, you know, and we watched it build and, you know, we were like, what do we do? What do we do? You know, and my father said, don't do anything. He goes, they haven't harmed us yet. And, and, and until they do, we're not going to do anything until they've done harm to our, our life, liberty or property. Then there's, you know, we're not going to do anything. And so we didn't, you know, we were you know, wanting to do something where, you know, some people are like, go gather all the cows you can before they gather them. And we're like, no, we're not going to do that. We have a right to be there and we're going to stand on our right. We're not going to go run around like scared chickens and try to, you know, we're not going to gather everything up to try to save what peanuts we can save. Yeah. You know, we're going to stand our ground on, on our rights and we're going to do that. You know, the sheriff uh, came with uh, a few of his deputies and they met with us face to face on our ranch and they told us they were coming. We said, we expect you to protect our rights. They said, well, we're not going to do anything. We're not going to help you. We're not going to help them. We're just going to stand aside. And of course, um, so we're like, well, I guess that's better than getting in the way, Yeah. but that's not what you're supposed to be doing. And so we were informed that the sheriff wasn't going to do anything. Of course, the state, you know, the governor, he wasn't going to do anything. The, the attorney general, which is, uh, Catherine Cortez Masto at the time, she wasn't going to do anything. The brand inspector, the state brand inspector, he has a, a a right and an obligation to protect our rights. That's why we have brands. That's why we pay them is to protect our, our property. And that, and the brands are a means of identification and, and, uh, you know, no ownership can be transferred except for upon the signature and agreement of the owner, which is my father. And yet the brand inspector was going to override and try to bypass and allow the BLM to steal our cattle. And, um, and so we had a lot of players against us. And here again, we were just one lone little, little family there. And so they began to build their compound and, and, and we watched it happen. They actually began to gather our cattle. 
and uh, and and where I'm like, what do we do? What do we do? And now they have harmed us because now they're stealing our property. Okay, the harm has started. And my dad says, just don't do anything. They'll get their hands dirty. We'll wait till their hands are dirty. And they dirtied their hands pretty badly. That's when they started abusing people, not just us. You know, they they did throw my brother to the ground, you know, and bloodied his his face, but not just him, but several others. They put up the First Amendment zones. I mean. It didn't take them long to get their hands dirty. Yeah. Okay. And and of course, uh, America was recognizing this. And of course, we were, you know, we didn't just stand idly by. We started to let people know what was going on. And and of course, we had a few other media people, such as um, Pete Santelli, who come in and started putting out on the you know social medias, you know, the alternative medias, which was a good thing because mainstream media would have never covered it. In fact, that's one reason Waco went down was because there was no one there to tell the truth. Yeah. And and media, you know, mainstream media won't. And so one reason we were saved was because of the alternative media that is available today. We began to film everything we could, keep, you know, track um, as people around the country and the world recognized that there was a problem. Um, people started flowing to us. And thousands came, thousands came to our ranch. Wow. After it all got out on social media, they started getting their hands dirty and just everybody came to show their, I mean, you can't build a free speech zone big enough for thousands of people. And of course we purposely would not honor their free speech zones. Yeah. Nobody in their right mind would go step in there and say, okay, I'll exercise my right here. Yeah. Right. No, no, you know, no one's going to do that. And rightfully, they shouldn't. Um, people came by the thousands. And this is where the militias came in hand. Mm. Okay? Because, you know, the Second Amendment clearly states that for the security of a free state, a militia is necessary. Mm-hmm. Not optional. If you're going to be free, you got to have a militia. Okay? And so our elected officials had failed to do their duty in protecting our rights. And so now who's going to protect it? Obviously we personally have the right, but we weren't strong enough on our own. We need help. And so people came and militia by very definition is simply the people. Okay. You know, in, in United States code and in Nevada revised statutes, by the way, Militia is defined as every able-bodied man between the age of 17 and 65 in Nevada. Mm. Every able-bodied man. Yeah. So if you are an able-bodied man between those ages, then you are a militia member. Okay. It doesn't mean that you belong to any type of group that is currently training or practicing or arming themselves. But technically, according to the definitions of the law in the state of Nevada, you are a militia member. Okay. Most people don't realize that. Yeah. That, I mean, there's a lot of discussion, especially in, so us in the podcast space, you know, we're a special group. Mm-hmm. We're a little bit stranger and uh, we get to have some longer conversations and tell longer stories. And there's other groups, other podcasts out there. There's a lot of examination into the, the second amendment and specifically the language around militia and people and which is what and who gets the guns and who you know all all this stuff 
And it seems there's a lot of energy getting put into parsing apart the difference between people and militia. When, and I'm curious, maybe to get a little more clarification on what exactly you were talking about with the, the Nevada. Okay, so we got the United States Code, USC. Yeah. And United States Code defines a militia as every able-bodied man between the ages of 17 and 45. Mm. Of course, in the Nevada Revised Statutes, the militia is defined as every able-bodied man between the ages of 17 and 65. Nevada Revised Statutes. Okay. Yes. yes, Nevada Revised Statutes. Very interesting. Okay, so let's move forward. So you have, uh, unless there's some more to... to well, there is more. People. There, there is more. I want to. Some people want to say, "Oh, the militia is the National Guard." Okay, you are correct. Now, again, both the United States Code and Nevada Nevada Revised Statutes divide. They they mirror each other. They're pretty much the same language. Okay, so let me tell you what it is. The militia is divided into two types. The first type is the organized militia, which consists of the National Guard and naval reserves okay so those are official organizations official so they are the organized militia and then there is the unorganized militia and the unorganized militia consists of everybody who is not an active member of the national guard or naval reserve which basically means everybody else okay so both the united states code and the Battery vice statutes recognize that Basically, we the people, particularly the men, women are able to join, by the way, but most particularly the able-bodied men, we are the militia, all of us. We are the militia. And as the Constitution clearly states that for the security of a free state, a militia is necessary. Yeah, well, and and even if I'm just thinking of now, I'm no scholar, I'm no constitutional lawyer, I'm simply just gleaned from those around me. But you know, the the ending prose of that is necessary to maintain a free state or something to those effects, right? So that I mean, that's the even if you want to qualm as much as you want over all the language before that. It all leads up to it being a necessity to maintain a free state. So if you want to figure out all the stuff before it, all you got to look at is, well, does it maintain a free state? And it seems much more that saying that the, the official federal, federally organized military is not necessarily the most uh, accustomed to keeping or at least avoiding uh, getting in the way of uh, keeping a free state. Okay, so, you know, the, the United States military are not militia. Mm -hmm. They are a, you know, a standing army. Okay. Okay, but the um, federal government is basically tasked with protecting the Union. Right. Okay, from outside forces. And yet, they're not supposed to be dealing with us on the inside so much. And so, you know, when we talk about the, you know, the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, those are to protect us from in, in invasions or, you know, outside forces. The states, we're supposed to have our own force, and we do. We have the Nevada National Guard, 
Ooh. Okay. Yeah. Which, what is that supposed to protect? The nation of Nevada. Mm -hmm. The sovereign state, which is why other countries have provinces and we have states. That's right. Man, that, that, that leads up to a whole discussion. We're going to have another, another teaser for the future here. Okay. okay? <laughs> I want to go into discussing the definition of a nation, the definition of a state, the definition of a country. Yeah. Okay. And how those all relate to one another. Yes. Okay. So there's a teaser. Absolutely. And there is the first half of my conversation with Ryan Bundy, current candidate for the governor of Nevada. The conversation continues in our next episode, so make sure to tune into that. But until you do, you can head over to patreon.com slash canarycryradio. This show is only possible by the generous donations of listeners just like you. If a financial donation is not in your budget, you can head to iTunes or Stitcher or whatever podcatcher you are listening to this on and leave a rating and a review. That helps so much to get the word out about the show so stories like this can continue to be told. Also, make sure to visit CanaryCryNewsTalk.com or subscribe to Canary Cry News Talk on your various podcatchers because that's where Basil and I break down different news stories from the fringes and put it into the Canary Cry Radio context. Definitely check it out, CanaryCryNewsTalk.com. We'll see you on the next episode, the second half of my conversation with Ryan Bundy. But until then, think outside the cage.